This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths. Enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Redefining family as people who accept all parts of you, and not just the parts they choose, is honoring your true self and your relational needs. Valeria interviews Dr. Nick Santo. He earned his MSW at Fordham University and his DSW at NYU, and has completed various postgraduate training programs. He has three publications that focus on integrating intersubjectivity, self-psychology, and affirmative therapy with gay men. He is currently a psychoanalytic candidate at the Institute of the Psychoanalytic Study of Subjectivity. He has been practicing psychotherapy for 14 plus years and currently maintains a private practice in NYC. Dr. Santos's interests include treatment with sexual and gender minority adults with histories of relational and or religious trauma. Meet Dr. Nick at nicholassantopsychotherapy.com and on Instagram, Dr. Nick Santo. Here's the interview with Dr. Nick Santo. In your own words, who is Nick Santo? Uh, I am a practicing psychotherapist from New York City. Uh, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and my clinical background uh, and licensures are in uh, clinical social work. I am a gay identifying therapist. Uh, I have a geeky side to me (laughs) (laughs) and um, a playfulness, I think, about me that uh, I like to bring to my work with people. I love spiritual practices and I do a lot of that. And we talk a lot about spirituality here. But in the end, it's uh, the light that so many people speak of. That's what it is to me. Yeah. It's lighten up and being <laughs> playful with life itself yeah. and ourselves, right? Not taking ourselves too seriously. Yeah, that playfulness, I think, gives us lets us tap into some moments of joy and that kind of childlike wonder, I think, and then allows us to explore the world, you know, in in a hopefully more relaxed way. And I wonder why we became so stiff as, as human, this humanity, all of us humans, not all of us, yeah. um, thankfully, but most of us. I noticed that there's so much of seriousness and stiffness and, let's say, judgment, really. Mm. Yeah, what do you think are the roots for that seriousness, this stiffness around human beings? That's that's an excellent question. I think my my own theory, my way kind of wrap my mind around it is that sometimes, myself included, growing up, I was a very tense child, very... um, timid, worried about the world, worried around, worried about things I didn't quite understand. And so I shaped my understanding of the world around that. And so 
I think that the rigidity and that kind of tension that you're talking about sometimes comes from our maybe not opening ourselves up to understand people from different perspectives and different and, and understanding those different experiences and allowing conversation to happen. And that's not to say that's not happening, like what that conversations aren't happening. And but I think when we hit a stalemate is when we're kind of listening to respond, not listening to understand. And I think that those approaches are, are a bit different. Like how, how do you listen to someone and understand their lived experience and their felt experience and vice versa? What is the exchange of that? And so sometimes I feel like we miss that, especially in like the political and kind of uh, discourse that we've been having over the last several years that I feel like is intensifying. When you speak of listening, I think about empathy. Yes. Is that what... You That's mean? spot on. Yeah, <laughs> exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's, it's giving, being open enough to feel the other mm. person as your fellow human. Actually, my practice is seeing myself in the other. That's a spiritual practice. It's considered spiritual practice. But to me, that's the foundation of everything. Ethics, justice, everything in life. Interestingly, I know it's a spiritual kind of conversation, but it's... Um, it could become, I mean, the foundation of, of everything, of the peace that we are looking for in, in this reality. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think empathy is such an important aspect of our, our way of being and connecting with other humans and also connecting with ourselves, like self-empathy. And I think for some people, particularly people who have, you know, have had uh, histories of trauma, whether it was like repeated trauma or even singular incidents, they might find that it is hard to experience empathy because it puts them in a place of vulnerability that is uncomfortable. The concept of it, I think, is uh, and of empathy is a beautiful notion. And I think that it's something that we should all strive for and also understand that's, uh, that sometimes it's not always going to be easy. Sometimes we have to step out of that comfort zone to feel the empathy as well. Like when you feel, I think what you were describing was like, how do I feel myself into someone else's lived experience? They can fall in line and sync together and be harmonious or they can conflict. Right? And what do you do with the conflict? Mm, right. That's a good point. Right. So do you teach your clients to deal with that conflict when it happens? I do. A lot of the work is first initially trying to understand what are the responses that are happening. So earlier I said kind of in my own experience growing up. I kind of sheltered myself and uh, in, in, a, in a, as a means of protection and self-preservation. And so letting people in was actually like a threat, right? I can keep you close enough, but anything closer might harm who I am as, as a person, right? And, and for me, that was coming out, right? And being honest about my identity that I didn't quite fully understand either. And now is a good time to ask you the question about becoming a psychotherapist. What inspired you to become a psychotherapist? The first question. And the second, why are you mostly interested in sexual and gender minority? Uh, you work with um, sexual and gender minority adults with a history of relational and uh, religious trauma. I'm reading this from your bio. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. talk to me for a moment about that, Nick. So uh, the first question was, um, what inspired me to become yes. a therapist? Yes. I would say my own experiences of uh, trauma. I actually, I started to experience, I experienced loss, grief de in, in, in terms of death very early on. I, uh, I was in elementary school when I, um, a friend of mine passed away of uh, cancer. And I was, I think it was like maybe third grade, fourth grade. So I was quite young. 
and you know that stuck with me for a while uh on top of like just the regular developmental kind of experiences we all have you know i was my own identity was starting to emerge and um about my sexuality and trying to understand that and then as time went on i experienced other deaths in the family and friends that i was just trying to make sense of and for me and that where that kind of went was i went to uh, you know i i went kind of deeper into my religious beliefs now, I, I, I've kind of separated myself from those in, in, in my adulthood, but have a different, I think when you use the word spirituality, you know, I think and that really resonates for me because I think there is an element of that that I have, but it's not specific to my the religion I grew up learning. And so those experiences of, of loss and grief really, like I think they stuck with me and in part have also given me new insight into myself and the world around me and the the fragility, I think, of life, and then the the time that we have, how do we appreciate it and take it in? You know, and in and over time, other things happened. You know, in in my life, I have I've been assaulted, physically assaulted in public a few times, and just other kind of various experiences, and and other friends who've had traumatic experiences as well. And so that I think really that was the the motivation, like the, the thing that kind of lit my fire. Like I want to go and understand not just what's going on with me, but I also want to understand human behavior. My core belief in all of this is that I don't believe we're born good or bad. I think we are all born inherently good, you know, and that there's something in there that, that can emerge in ourselves that we can share and expand on. And, and, and I think that's where we lean into the empathy piece. And uh, yeah, so that that's kind of what inspired me. And I think that that, that, that kind of, grain of interest was always there for me. And that, that was a lot of my education. All the classes I took and all the programs that I tried getting being a part of were really around mental health or psychologically based uh, and sociologically based. And so it almost felt like a calling to me. Ah, one that I can relate with. <laughs> I didn't go on your path of becoming a mental health practitioner. But I remember I grew up in the house with a lot of abuse. Mm. I would see that around me, my parents mm -hmm. behaving the way they did, and my sister. And then it didn't make sense. I couldn't understand any of it. Yeah. How can you? Right. Because, you know, it makes a lot of sense when you say we are all born good. Yeah, with this, I mean, oh, babe, look at babies. Although some people might say, you know, that we carry a lot of, uh, let's say, imprints from other lifetimes. Yeah, so yeah. some people can see that even in babies' eyes when they have been very violent in different lifetimes. But I think that it's almost like a, a rebirth of that kind of mind and a new chance, like a new opportunity to be different, <laughs> to yeah. do better, perhaps. I really live, like that framing. Yeah. Right? That goodness. These days, Nick, how do you make sense of suffering and death? My own kind of personal organization of that, you mean? Yes, yes. I would love to hear that. Yeah. Well, I think as far as death goes, um, I actually, my so I recently experienced another death in my family just uh, just about a month ago, actually. And um, it was painful and, um, it, and challenging, you know, like, like, like as grief is, right? There. And I think, though, for me, for a good chunk of like my early 20s, like and like mid 20s, it felt like, oh, like here we are again. I think that's because that's how many times I, I think I went to so many funerals. I can't even like it's just, it's it's baffling to me sometimes. But the way I kind of see it now is, I mean, death is a part of life. It is kind of our reality. And how do we kind of take our time with understanding how we feel about our own 
mortality and also the people that we surround ourselves by, right? How do we kind of get the most out of those relationships while the person is still here? You know, that's that's a oversimplified way of of kind of like I wouldn't. Yeah, you know, I think someone who's experienced trauma in the home and 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 the family, you know, there's continued direct conflict, right? There's no clear way to get to healing. There has to be maybe a little bit of like, you don't force yourself to try to repair a relationship when the other person is not working toward that as well, right? Because that might cause you more harm, emotional harm. And I guess that kind of speaks to the suffering in your question, right? Is that sometimes when we see suffering happen, we have to make sometimes very challenging and very uncomfortable decisions about the relationships and people we keep in our lives. Yeah, that's a, a tough one, a challenging one for yeah. for most people, especially people who have been abused. I noticed that a mm-hmm. pattern within myself, even uh, the relationships I had, I would be attracted to people who had the tendency to abuse me. Mm-hmm. That was interesting to see, like later on that I started to understand um, yeah. the how the mind works. Yeah, well, you don't realize sometimes, I think, the un- unconsciously what, you know, the people that you might be drawn to, you might bring into your life, and then as it starts to play out, and I think, you know, I mean, it's... It's wonderful that you notice it now. Um, yes. Right, the pattern. That's Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did. That would be hard to really come to terms with. Yes, right. And then to leave that relationship, it's yes. even harder. Yeah. And I think, you know, and, and I don't want I don't want to I don't want to say that speak for you, but I think that, you know, it, what comes with that is of the leaving it. Sometimes there are those thoughts and the the guilt feelings of like did I did I do the right thing? Am I hurting this person? Like the self-doubt. Right. Around around leaving like, toxic relationships. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. <laughs> so with that, because we are speaking of this very important topic for me, because has been my personal experience too. How do you um, work with your clients when they are still exposed to abuse in their homes? Mm-hmm. What is the uh, let's say the strategy? How do you teach them to kind of leave that relationship? Mm. So actually, I have several people that I'm working with now that are in similar situations, either either with um, partners or with their families. I, I wish I had a very clear and distinct answer to this because it's different for every, excuse me, every single person. But the long and short of it, I guess, is one, establishing where your primary supports are presently. Who are the people that you can go to that you feel like a sense of belonging, a sense of love, a sense of appreciation? you know, the reciprocity of those experiences. Because if there are relationships you're trying to mend from the past that are kind of repeating that trauma, you're going to need the support in that in, in that process. Right? And, and including, I, you know, I guess I'm biased here, right? Including your therapist. Right? And, and, <laughs> yes, and that's, for sure. And that support system. <laughs> for but, sure. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, and friends and colleagues. And, and, and I would say even, you know, because I do work with some people who have experienced religious trauma. There are people who have been um, kicked out of their families for having gay identity. And, um, they don't, you know, and they're not allowed back. And, 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 and they don't want But at the same time, they have a very strong connection to their faith. Right. So I would say that even in that aspect is that there's still loss. There's loss of your community and belonging of um, your congregation or wh- whomever you, you know, you, you go and, and, and you know, serve your community with. Right. And so when you leave that, it can feel completely isolating and might actually intentionally be isolating because now you're protecting yourself from rejection again from a community that you maybe once felt secure and protected by. And so another piece that I would try to explore with someone who still wants to be connected in that kind of way and with their faith is 
are there communities out there, whether they're virtual or in person, that are in similar positions as you, right? They accept you for all of you as you are, and you can still follow through with your faith and still stay part of it. That is an important aspect, I think, for some people I work with who have religious trauma. Yes, that resonates true to me. So the connection with communities, with people who sees us as whole beings, not just part of us. Yeah. I love the way you said that, the article you sent to me, it's beautifully expressed, the message. I have here, I think, will be the, the introduction of this episode because it's beautifully said. Let me see if I, I rephrased, I guess. So redefining family as people who accept all parts of you and not just the parts they choose. It's honoring your true self and your relational needs. This is paraphrasing you, but it really resonated through to me. And also the grief part of it. So grief is not just losing people. It's um, losing parts of us, parts of us that we once were very familiar with. And it's interesting to see, like within myself, I noticed that even the parts of me, they were not serving. <laughs> For mm. the best of me, I was still mm -hmm. grieving them. So letting go of those parts was not easy. Yeah. And so I think that you raise a very important point here with that. It's like letting go of those parts of yourself that you grieve that, right? Those parts of yourself that, that were there or that you had to let go that maybe are no longer serving you. I think the way I kind of view that is that let's acknowledge that those parts of you served you at the time that they needed to serve you well. And they don't serve you anymore, right? And so you can grieve them, you can mourn their loss and, and, and they're not being there anymore. But you can also acknowledge at the same time or try to acknowledge, like, thank you for being there when I needed you. And now here are the new parts of myself that are emerging and need the space to grow. It has been an interesting journey for me to kind of see myself as parts because I have this um, kind of broader view picture. I love seeing the bigger picture of life, mm -hmm. you know, myself you know, of other human beings, not just parts of them. Yeah. So when I was exposed to this idea of parts, I think it's called parts work in therapy. Yeah. I was shocked <laughs> in a good, in a, in a bad way. I didn't want to see myself as yeah. parts, but then I realized that it made sense. Yes, there are parts of me here that are being rejected. The parts of you that you're talking about, I think, um, are, are really important because Think of it like a puzzle, like yourself. All of your experiences are coming together like a puzzle and some of the pieces fit, some of the pieces don't, and you're trying to find the pieces that do, right? And so in, in that time is that what happens is as, as, as the pieces come together, it starts to create a beautiful picture, right? Of whatever it is you're trying to do. And that kind of the, you know, the psychological kind of and theoretical world that I, that I kind of adopt into my practice is that that is the mode toward uh, and the movement toward uh, self-cohesion. Right. So it's not just the parts, it's the whole picture. And what are the parts that need attention? What are the parts that need to need the healing, need the growth and need the change? Yeah. So it's uh, kind of shifting our attention to them. And what happens to them? Do they still stay within us? Are they replaced? What happens to them? That's yeah. So I think for some people, what I'll say is like, let's say people who've experienced some form of like trauma, like or like physical, emotional, etc. Those parts may remain, right? And and sometimes they may. What I what I say to most of my patients when we work together, sometimes those those old parts they might come in, they might creep in in, in, in little moments unexpectedly, but. The newer parts, the newer experiences, the newer ways of relating to yourself and to others, 
as those strengthen, they'll be able to kind of help soothe those parts that, hey, I don't, you don't need to come here. You don't need to come protect me. I'm okay. I'll be all right. And then they'll, they'll quiet down. Right. And sometimes that comes in the terms of, in, in the, in, in the way of voices, like kind of your own voice, kind of the narrative in your mind. Right. And, uh, or, or physic, physical kind of somatic experiences. Um, and helps kind of the, the new parts of you, the new ways of relating help you self soothe. So, if I understand it correctly, because that's the way I think I try to make sense of that in thinking that those parts that are not driving my life anymore, they are tr kind of trusting the ones that are driving yeah. my life now. So there's trust yeah. going on, right, Nick? Absolutely. Seems to me. Yes, no, that, that was beautifully said, yeah. So that's a beautiful vision <laughs> for those parts, right, of us. That has, yeah. I mean, they have been rejected for the reason of kind of overreacting and kind of causing a lot of pain. Because I remember mm -hmm. those parts in me just really mm -hmm. coming forth to protect, of course. And then now it really feels so much more peaceful. What is your idea of spirituality these days? Uh, I don't subscribe to any particular religion. I don't meditate often, but I do sit with my thoughts a lot. So I guess that could be a form of meditation. Yes, it uh, is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, I, when I sit with that, sometimes I try to think about, like, is there a greater kind of being or greater thing or something greater than me out there? Because, you know, and, and I don't know, but that is something that, I, that, that stayed with me throughout growing up. Uh, I grew up Catholic, and so that there is a bigger world outside there right and so i mean as i've grown and kind of developed is that i don't necessarily deny it and i actually i do appreciate that uh, other people other people's faith and the religion as, as long as it's not causing them harm but for me i leave the door open to exploration and that uh, and that's why i kind of say like i feel like spirituality or this the, the word itself really resonates with me more you know i do feel that there's uh there's something that can feel quite enlightening about that too, right? That about the kind of the process of, I would say, deep exploration. I would say that too. <laughs> That's exactly what it means to me, going deeper into who we are or think we are. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, it's very psychological. It's like um, psychology to me. It's psychology mixed with um, some mysticism, of course, with uh, going deeper into it, you just find out that you are Everything that, that is, in a sense, you are God. There's no separation mm. between you and God. Mm -hmm. But you're almost one and the same. Not almost. It's worse than that. <laughs> that you oh. are. That you are one and You the are, same. yeah. Everything is God. <laughs> yeah. From my earlier <laughs> conflicts, I think, what I had trouble with, I think, early on growing up with, like, uh, at least with my understanding of Catholicism, is that I was in this kind of perpetual loop of sinning. And no matter what I did, I was it didn't matter. It was because I was constantly doing something wrong. Right? And that, I think, instilled a really deep sense of self-doubt and, like, chronic indecisiveness. Like, I couldn't make up my mind to <laughs> save my life, you know. And and a lot of timidness in, in that I think eventually, you know, over time, I, I just kind of developed into worsening kind of social anxiety. And I think that pulling myself away from that and looking at myself differently helped is that if I take away the condemning part, I can actually live a really peaceful and fulfilling life. And for me, that, that path may be different than someone who maintains their faith, but they can probably still get to the similar place, a similar place of peace. and fulfillment. 
Yeah, that's the goal, really, of even religion. That's what they're trying to get. But then it gets distorted and has been my experience, too, being traumatized by religion and then Mm -hmm. lots of self-doubt. So And then uh, it was just so much suffering, unnecessary suffering. That's key. (laughs) That word there, the unnecessary uh, suffering, that sticks with you. That's hard to peel off. Yes, right. And But then when you come to that, it's a realization, really. It's not even a practice. It's the realization that you are unconditionally loved mm. because you are love itself. So experiencing this, which we call life, with all these colors and different, the experience of body-mind. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about ambiguous loss. What is an ambiguous loss? Yeah, it is a term that was uh, developed by uh, Pauline Boss. Uh, and she's a psychologist. And essentially what it means is that when there's loss, that is, you can't really make sense of it, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of like break this down. Um, the way I look at ambiguous loss with my, uh, my uh, clients who have families who may have rejected them for their sexual or gender identity is that the loss of that relationship it's not because someone passed on or passed away, right? Their physical presence still remains on this earth, but it was a choice to no longer keep that attachment for reasons that are beyond the understanding of that child. And so what might happen is someone like, and oftentimes with what I see in my, in my practice is that there's still the tie there, there's still the connection between like the adult child and the parent, but it's very limited and riddled with, judgment and barriers is that you can only present yourself to me. And this is the messaging that kind of broad, I'm broadly describing here from the parents is that the, you can only present to me as the person I need you and want you to be. And if you don't, then you can't be here uh, with us. So you can't either be physically present for the holidays or, you know, we're not going to talk to you on your birthday or we're not going to have visits together. Right. So there's this conforming to someone else's standards of what they think you should be. And so they're, they're the loss, not only is the loss of the relationship as a whole, um, but also the loss in a sense of identity and who you are. I, I can't be who I want to be. Right? And so I have to suppress that, push that away. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you're, you're living multiple lives, you know, and so that's kind of how I've, I've been I've, I've been trying to frame it and understanding what that experience is like for some people is that the relationship is gone. It's a relationship that you've trusted and hoped to trust and they would that they would continue to be there and protect you and love you and nurture you. And then they decide no, because of one thing that they don't agree with, which is not really the worst thing in the world. Right, they're like they're not going out harming people, you know, and that's a really hard thing to wrap your head around. Yes, that's causing enough unnecessary pain. Daily God. distress, it's daily distress for some for some folks, because the desire is still there to keep that relationship. You know, they, it's not that they don't love their parents; they do. That's really sad, Nick. I'm trying to kind of put myself in that position. I was rejected by my parents, of course, mm. in, in different ways. Mm-hmm. And then I left them, of course. I couldn't do it. There was a lot of grief there uh, because I wanted to reconnect, but then I knew they had not changed. Uh, they were still the same. So it remains a very um, kind of, um, let's say, superficial kind of connection. And yeah. I love connecting deeply with people. So it's still sad 
from the human perspective, but then when I tap in the uh, the other uh, reality per se, then you know this dance of life just being this interesting experience of everything. <laughs> so it kind of joy just arises and everything becomes light again and playful as we talked in the beginning of the conversation. Yeah, that you could still have those things even with those past experiences or even with the present day relationships, like like we're saying with like the superficial relationships you may maintain, right? That you actually have other relationships too that you can lean into and find that joy and find that playfulness. You can still have the things that you desire, right? And and also know that that is also part of part of your life too, that part that has hurt you. So it's like learning to live with the, all these parts, right? Like the new life that you have built for yourself, that you have, the family that you have chosen, and then the people who are not yet at that level of understanding, of evolution. Of, yeah. To me, which is really um, the ability to love. That's, yeah. in the end, that's when I think about dying, losing the body, whatever, it's really, it goes back to that. Have I loved? Have I mm-hmm. felt loved? That's what really matters. Love. It's the only thing that matters. And I love the way you um, have been talking about the message of finding our own community, in a sense, people that can accept us as a whole so we can kind of, let's say, feed that joy that Mm -hmm. is here. We want to come out. (laughs) Yeah. So we don't need to feel imprisoned. We have to let that person out, right? We have to let that person out that to go explore the world, make these connections and find that love and create that space. You know, I think uh, we, we, we talked briefly about like the, the your podcast, right? You created the space that you wanted and needed and that you were so deeply looking for. And it's a beautiful space, right? And um, you get to have that playfulness and you get to have those deep conversations and it gets to be a little bit of everything. And I think that, you know, that's fantastic. And uh, I think it's a great, great kind of uh, example for people to kind of take in for themselves too. Yes, right. Creating your own reality per se. That's exactly what I did. And I I don't kind of tell, um, I actually, I do in a way, but I don't like my husband. He, he feels a little bit isolated too in so many ways. But, and then I kind of, uh, he has been inspired by what I do. I guess that's kind of, uh, that's how it is a lot of times done that we need passing that message, not just as a message, but we need to be the message. Yeah. So, right. Not just telling people what to do and how to. Right. But just being what we we know to be true. When, when it's coming from our hearts, we know that truth is, is there. So when I read something interesting in that article that you sent me, it says any loss of identity can trigger a domino effect of decisions that create a false self. I would love to hear more about the false self because that's mm. also an idea that's explored very much in the spiritual conversations. So oh. from, yeah, very much. So from a psychological point of view, what is beyond this domino effect? How is that really created in the sense of um, being a child? Is that creating childhood without even understanding that we are creating the false self? Or it's something that we are making a choice upon it, it, to be it, different? Well, I think that a lot of it happens unconsciously and based on our, our lived and learned experiences, specifically uh, how that concept is is used in um, in like psychoanalysis is that the way we form and uh, understand our way to be who we are is based on how the world kind of treats us. Right. So if you have a responsive parent to your needs as an infant, right, that you start to build from that early on. Right. You've 
and then over time, right? And so, and it evolves, right? So the parent with an infant may be really good with an infant, right? And loving, caring, nurturing, and, and really responsive to the needs of the child. And almost like, you know, I think a lot of parents would say uh, is that what they start to do, they, for a nonverbal child, they may say, hey, I actually... I know what that cry sounds like. I know what that is. I can. So we're we're speaking the same language, and so that attunement to one another, right, starts early on, and as it evolves over time, I mean, a lot of there's so many factors that can influence that, right? It doesn't have to just be the family dynamic. It can also be external factors and within the community and so on. But those structures of self, right, the ways the ways that we understand ourselves to be, kind of, uh, they develop based on those relational experiences. And the way I was kind of speaking about it in my paper was that when the messaging of specific to uh, a gay identity, when the messaging is that it's wrong, you can't do that. And as the child starts to grow, they one that those mess that messages gets built into that that structure of how they of uh, how they see the world. Gay is bad. Gay is wrong. Eventually, when that identity starts to emerge and they start to realize, oh, I think I'm different than other people. There's some I was born broken. Right. And so that that is a lot of what I unpack with some of the people that I work with or a lot of the people that I've that I work with is that that sense of um, just not being right. A general sense of feeling bad, unworthy, unlovable, and that they have to hide that aspect of themselves. And sometimes the hiding uh, and suppressing of that gay identity specifically is uh, is unconscious. And so they start to live a life based on what they think other people should do. They start making decisions based on what other people want them to do. And so they're not walking a path where they're living, uh, making decisions based on what are my needs? What are my desires? What are, what are, what are my you know, like interests and skills? I'm going to do what I need to do for someone else because otherwise I will be rejected. And it's interesting, I know you talk about gays, but it's the same mm-hmm. thing. I mean, I can relate to it. So many of us could, yeah. human beings. Yeah. We're just brought into this world and the expectation of being something that we are not, it's just so, mm-hmm. it's forced on us. And especially the idea of being an object. That's yeah. That's an interesting, like seeing the body and then you have to wear certain clothes. You have to, that is just incredibly painful it has been has been mm-hmm. my case and so many people I know so it's almost like there's no limit for that kind of suffering I know I try always to see the big picture it's that mm-hmm. we're all suffering here especially when it comes to that illusion that we are separate from wholeness that mm-hmm. seems like everybody is suffering from that <laughs> that by the separation from some people, we can call whatever it is. I sometimes I call it life to mm-hmm. make it to simplify it instead of God or consciousness, a source, and all mm-hmm. that. But it's just um, separated from life itself. I see life as me. Mm-hmm. There's no separation really. Um, I see that life is just doing what it does. I am life, mm-hmm. and that's kind of um, it. Saddens me at that level from from that perspective of the human experience because it's unnecessary and uh, it seems like it takes knowledge. I know it takes practice too, and has been my case, but it fundamentally it's knowledge. It's knowing who we are at the core, that we are life itself. We are, if there is mm-hmm. God, that's what we are. Not even who we are, but what we are. I have to say mm-hmm. that. I can't help it, Nick. <laughs> no, <laughs> I have to say it. <laughs> that's fine. That was great. And that is, that's, that's something that a structure that you built, I think, maybe whether consciously or not, and, and you built for that works for you. And you get to, and get to share that and experience that with other people, too. 
See, because I ask a lot of questions, I'm always, am I creating this, uh, believing all these things so I can ease my suffering? Well, then it's another podcast conversation. (laughs) Totally another podcast conversation. I wouldn't say that that's something to pathologize. I think think that you you are moving to, I mean, it sounds like you're moving towards something like a healthy, like uh, striving towards something, right? Is that uh, you're not creating anything bad here. Right, (laughs) right. Yet, see, that's exactly what the message is in a way from everything that I have experienced even. It's Mm -hmm. not really to trust experience what we see. It's kind of obvious that everything's happening in our own minds, but then if you go deeper, it's not really in the mind. It's just, I'm observing my mind too. Even the thoughts now, what I'm speaking, yeah. there's something listening here. And I'm like, who is this that's aware of what I'm saying even and thinking? So it's going deeper into it. And then you see that everything's connected. There's no separation between the, who is experiencing the body, the mind, the conditions. It's just everything is connected, interconnected. And that's when the sense of love for everything <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. rises, joy and everything. Because my gosh, I am Nick, but in a different body. How amazing that is. I can feel the essence. It's just the same. There's no separation, no difference. And I guess that's what it is, really the goal of spirituality. It's that we can see that. And to me, it's not even spirituality at that point. It's science, because science can't prove so much. Science Mm -hmm. just goes so far, and then they stop when, you know, bigger questions are asked. There's no really answers. So it's another podcast conversation for sure. (laughs) So, Nick, before we say goodbye for today, I want to read again the conclusion. Well, per se, it's not really the conclusion, but I love the way you end that article that you have have written. It says, remember to honor the true self and relational needs by redefining family to meet those who are respectful and accepting of all of the self, not just the parts they choose. So that's a beautiful message that really resonated because it has to do with wholeness again, accepting everything. Yeah, thank you. So before we say goodbye for today, would you like to add anything else that you left unsaid for today's conversation? Uh, off the top of my head, no. I, I, re- <laughs> yes. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. I was very excited to be here and this this just affirms that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way. I, I love this. It's my sacred space. What do you love most about being in a human body or being the human body? Mm. (laughs) I love the eclectic experiences that we can have both on physical, psychological and emotional levels. I feel like that there's always different ways of uh, and new ways of experiencing the world, different types of sensations. And when we start to open ourselves up to that, I think that it it, it, it's just uh, it can be such a transformative and expansive experience. Mm, it is, yeah, being open to life. Yes, mm-hmm. I agree. Another question is that I wanted to ask you, what is another word for healing? What comes to mind? Well, my instinct is to say love. Yes, a billion times to that. <laughs> and that's to me, that's my guiding principle. That's my truth, right? When everything is said and done, all these realizations, all the spiritual knowledge, all the knowledge that we can gather, you know, with the mind, it goes, it just returns to love. That's, um, it has to start and end there. It's interesting to see. There's almost nothing in between. It's almost we forget everything, even like my past and all the, the traumas and all. 
it's forgotten. In the light of love, everything's forgot, forgiven and forgotten. It's like a warm hug, even if you're not, not like a, like a, even like a figurative hug. I think that loving experience, it's warm. It's embracing. Yes, right. Yeah. And I, I feel that embrace now from you. <laughs> Even for you, for answering that question, when you answer the question, healing, love, then I, yeah, everything, the heart opens. It's just yeah. truth. It feels so true. So I'm, I'm very romantic with all these things a lot of times, <laughs> but <laughs> I can't help it. So I want to thank you for your presence again, for being open to life, for doing what you do, for being so beautiful, to share yourself. And I love how genuine and how present you are. Before we say goodbye for today, what is the best place to find more information about you, Nick? Uh, I have a website. It's very long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's www.nicolassantopsychotherapy.com. Uh, you can the, probably the easiest way to find me would be Instagram, and my Instagram handle is uh, Doctor Nick Santo. So it's D R N I C K S A N T O. Wonderful. I'll have the website link on your podcast profile and the Instagram handle oh, too. I'll have oh. both of them there, clickable. <laughs> Thank you so much again. And we'll talk soon, Nick. Bye for Thank now. you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Nick Santo and his work, please visit nicholassantopsychotherapy.com and Instagram, Dr. Nick Santo. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.